0: Okay, let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to this month's uh, estate planning update call. I am your host, Griffin Bridgers. Uh, once again, it's a pleasure, as always, to have every one of you join me. Um, for those of you just logging in, I um, wanted to remind you once again to please mute your phones, that way um, we can't hear coughing or breathing or anything over the uh, the air. Um, happy to unmute at the end and take any questions you might have, but for the time being, it makes for cleaner audio if um, uh, your phone is muted on your end. So if you have not already done so, please mute your phone. Uh, Today's topic, as mentioned in my invitation, is the art and science of beneficiary designations. why i chose that particular topic art and science is um, we'll look at that a little bit later on but we'll really start with the science and move to the art Uh, but before we get started um, as always i kind of like to cue things up with a a popular adage or misconception about estate planning last week or last month with marital trusts we looked at the common misconception that your situation is simple, as communicated by a client, and this week we're going to look at the common misconception that you don't need a will or that your will is effective to give away all of your property. So um, the problem in that is, as many of you might know, uh, the laws of intestacy typically kick in when you don't have a will, Um, so every state has basically a law of disposition written into it. its it's laws. Uh, But even if the laws of intestacy kick in, or even if you have a will, beneficiary designations trump all of those. Uh, So that's the first key takeaway to remember for today is that Most clients have, either purposefully or inadvertently, beneficiary designations in place. And if they do, none of what they do in terms of estate planning documents is going to matter. None of their documents are going to change those beneficiary designations. Uh, So if you're ambitious, you're about to go on a trip, um, you decide, oh, I need to get my affairs in order, and you go on LegalZoom and do a will... That will is going to have no effect whatsoever on any beneficiary designated asset that you have. You have to actually physically go in and change beneficiary designations to be consistent with your estate plan if that is indeed your desire. So in terms of beneficiary-designated assets, typically they fall into three categories. Um, The most obvious ones are life insurance and retirement plans or annuities. Uh, Either one of those typically is a classic example of a beneficiary-designated asset where either the client who owns the account or the policy has designated beneficiaries at some point in the past and has that beneficiary designation on file, or even in the absence of a valid beneficiary designation, the policy or plan dictates who the designated beneficiaries are going to be. So that's another instance of where even without planning, there could be inadvertent results that kick in. And those can be significant and we'll look at why here in a few minutes. Uh, But another category that I often see that uh, isn't thought of much is that oftentimes if you have a client who opens say an investment account or a bank account the application will typically have a line where they can designate a beneficiary. Now that's not a beneficiary in a true sense. It's it's technically referred to as a pay on death or transfer on death designation. But I'm seeing more and more clients come into my office who at some point, maybe in applying for the account, have filled that line out and maybe named a former spouse as a, <laughs> a beneficiary even though they are no longer married to that person or maybe have Named their children equally, even though they intend the account to go to their spouse, or some other result that is not desirable given their current circumstances. So, it's also, I think, important to kind of look into uh, not only the life insurance and retirement account beneficiary designations, but also check and see if any of your clients' traditional accounts have some sort of pay on death or transfer on death designation on file, because that could easily blow up their will or their estate planning documents as well. Um, so, the the biggest key takeaway here is check the beneficiary designations um, for all assets and also um, if there aren't any beneficiary designations, look and see what the defaults might be. Um, and because in all cases, especially with life insurance and retirement accounts, there's typically a default in place uh, under the policy or under the retirement plan. So having looked at kind of the background of beneficiary designations and how, one, your will doesn't affect them and two, they could divert assets outside of your general intended planning scheme set forth in your will. It's important to look at a couple mistakes that can often be made in planning around beneficiary designations. Um, and just quick reminder for those of you who have logged in since the beginning of the call, please mute your phones on your end. That way we don't get any uh, audio bleed over or feedback from your end. Um, So the first big mistake I see made in beneficiary designations is either purposefully or inadvertently naming your estate as a beneficiary of assets. And the biggest areas where this can have drastic effects is with respect to life insurance and retirement plans. Uh, Typically, Life insurance proceeds and retirement plan proceeds are protected from claims of your creditors. So let's say you have a parent who dies and maybe at the end of life, they had a lot of medical bills that they ran up. Um, the staggering medical bills of, to the tune of 100000 or $200,000. And that's a common um, situation I see with a lot of clients. Um, most of your expenses come at the end of life. Um, but you have a, a parent They have these drastic medical bills, they die, they have life insurance and retirement accounts, and somehow, either on purpose or inadvertently, their estate becomes the beneficiary of those assets. If that were to occur, then those assets would be open to claims of their creditors. Um, Otherwise, without an estate beneficiary designation, life insurance and retirement accounts are typically exempted from claims of the owner's creditors um, under ERISA and uh, under just general state insurance and uh, creditor law. So if you have a client who has a situation where their estate is either designated as the beneficiary or could become designated due to a failure of, you know, named beneficiaries under the plan or under the policy, that is obviously a result you want to avoid. Um, So first big mistake is naming a state as beneficiary because it can cause those assets to become subject to claims of creditors. And not only that, another secondary detriment in doing so is that life insurance and retirement accounts because they're beneficiary designated usually pass directly to the named beneficiary if that named beneficiary is anybody other than the estate then those assets are not subject to probate however if the estate is the beneficiary uh, then a probate may become Uh, required in order to effectively transfer those assets. So if you have clients for whom probate avoidance is important, then you want to make sure, too, that you avoid naming their estate as the beneficiary of those assets. Now, that is a shortcut way to make sure that the will applies to the life insurance and retirement account proceeds, but uh, the downfalls to naming the estate as beneficiary are dramatically outweigh the simple benefit of just allowing your will to really have a, a catch-all type of um, stance. The second mistake I've seen, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but it reflects a trend I'm seeing more and more often, is naming children directly or indirectly as a beneficiary of assets, especially life insurance and retirement accounts. And I've also seen this some with general investment accounts as well. Uh, Now, traditionally, if you had a child and, say, they're a beneficiary of life insurance and their parent dies and the child is not age 21... Um, then those assets would go into a custodial account for their benefit. Uh, The child's surviving parent or guardian would manage that account until the child reaches the age of 21, at which case the child takes over the account. So traditionally, it's not a big deal if a child's named as a beneficiary of one of these accounts. However, things have changed a bit. Um, I don't know why this has happened, but I'm seeing more and more financial institutions require that if a child is a named beneficiary or is supposed to receive assets from that institution, that a full-blown conservatorship be initiated with the local court. For those of you who don't know what a conservatorship is, it's basically a court-supervised process where instead of having a custodian informally named maybe over an account, uh, there's a formal appointment of a person known as a conservator who manages that child's financial affairs until they reach the age of majority. Um, The problem with a conservatorship is it's very expensive. Uh, Typically um, lawyers are involved, um, um whoever is named as the conservator, even if it's the parent, they have to report to the court annually and give a formal accounting of all the child's accounts and what's gone on. Um, and if they fail to do so, they could get... Um, or have their appointment as conservator terminated at which point the court will go to some sort of public administrator um, or court appointed attorney who will fill that role and obviously that that appointed person is going to probably be incentivized to run up fees and cost a lot more money and it'll cost a lot of money to get them out of the way. So. Um, Naming kids directly as beneficiaries if they are under the age of 18 or 21 can oftentimes result in a conservatorship, and that is very bad. So, um, biggest things to remember here if you don't remember anything else today are just in reviewing clients beneficiary designations to one avoid having the estate be named as beneficiary and two um, to limit the uh, designation uh, of minor children as beneficiaries as well Uh, so that leaves you thinking okay well uh, the will doesn't do anything here and the beneficiary designations could be easily messed up so what's the solution Uh, the most Technical solution, or I wouldn't say the most technical, uh, probably the simplest solution um, is to have a, a trust created for each of your children or uh, for your children as a group under a will or under a separate trust document that will last at least until they reach the age of 21 to which beneficiary designation be, beneficiary designated assets can be directed. Um, That could either be done as separate trusts under a will, as I mentioned, or as a common pot trust where all the children benefit maybe until uh, the youngest reaches a certain age or completes college or or, or something to that effect. Um, By doing that, um, you avoid uh, the problem of potentially having a conservatorship and you avoid the issue with having an estate beneficiary designation blow up the asset protection and cause creditor claims of the parent to be satisfied out of those assets. And there's also ancillary benefits where a trust for children can also protect protect their assets or their inheritance from claims of their creditors down the road. Um, But that's the simple solution, and now we've looked at the science part of what happens with a terrible beneficiary designations or incorrect beneficiary designations. Now we move into the art part. Um, So for those of you who saw this topic and hoped, okay, I'm going to get some awesome samples of beneficiary designation language, I have bad news for you. I I can't really provide a universal example of beneficiary designation language that is going to always meet every single situation and requirement. So the art part comes in in determining one, the client's specific needs, and two, the requirements of um, the insurance company issuing the policy or the plan administrator administering a retirement plan or or whatever the case might be. But I can give you some general guidelines that illustrate how this is more art than science. One common approach I've seen used and that I sometimes use in my practice is if, say, children are going to be contingent beneficiaries on an account, um, you can just state that um, I name maybe my descendants by representation as beneficiaries. However, If any separate trust is created for any of them maybe under my will or under a separate trust then that trust will instead be the beneficiary of that child's share of the beneficiary designated asset Um, that's kind of a good catch-all that's as universal of a beneficiary designation as i can provide for you Um, but another if you want to dig a little bit deeper into the topic and look more at um, specific application, it's important to kind of draw um, a subtle distinction that many people aren't aware of. Some states treat a trust as a separate legal entity and Colorado is one of those. So in Colorado common practice is to directly name a trust as a beneficiary and identify that trust without reference to whoever is serving as the trustee at the time. But in other states uh, the trust itself is not designated or is not treated under state law as a separate legal entity. Instead it's kind of treated as an extension of the trustee that has been named and the instructions that are being issued to that trustee through a trust agreement or otherwise. So in those states oftentimes instead of naming the trust directly you're naming the trustee and identifying the specific trust. So that creates two separate outcomes where maybe in Colorado you might name you know the trust directly or state you know the separate trust for the benefit of my child under my will or something to that effect where you identify the trust by name. Instead, in some other states, you might take the approach where you name the trustee and say, or their successor as trustee of, you know, whatever the name of the trust is or the trust for the benefit of my child under my will. So um, in terms of which of those approaches you have to use, there is no universal rule. Um, The rule I like to use is that if it's a Colorado trust that has been created or is going to be created, you can get away with just naming the trust. However, if there's somehow an existing trust created in a separate state, uh, sometimes it's better to use the identification of the trustee approach as opposed to just naming the trust um, in general. Now I've never seen a beneficiary designation fail or get kicked back uh, for not properly identifying which approach to take, which is once again why I say this is more art than science. But the key takeaway here is that uh, there's no hard and fast rule for beneficiary designations. What helps is to, one, check local law, You know, most of you in this call, you know, practice in Colorado, so um, you're going to use the trust in most cases as the uh, designated beneficiary and not the trustee. Uh, But it also helps to check with the um, insurance company issuing the policy or the retirement plan administrator or, you know, whoever the case might be to see what their preferences are sometimes. With them, usually there's a beneficiary designation form that will allow you to check whether it's an individual or a trust um, and identify the trustee, and if that's the case, you don't really have to put much effort into it at all. But sometimes um, you're getting a blank form where you don't have those pre-selected choices or boxes, so you have to free-form the beneficiary designation and basically... identify trust or trustee, and it helps to have a contact on the inside who uh, typically collects beneficiary designations to give you a little input as to how you should do it. Uh, now, in the worst case, if you call them, they're going to say, we're not attorneys, we can't give you advice, contact an attorney. If that happens, um, myself or any estate planning attorney you know is probably likely to be more than willing to, to serve as a resource and, and at least give you a some general guidelines, um, but uh, if the retirement plan administrator or insurance company is kind enough to to give you assistance in that regard, one of the questions you should ask is whether it's sufficient to just name the trust or whether you should identify the trustee of the trust up front. Um, And that might beg the question in your mind of why not just identify the trustee up front? Uh, the reason for that is that a beneficiary designation might not take place until 20 or 30 years in the future. So whoever is named as trustee today may not be named as trustee in the future. So uh, if that's the case, then you have to go through a long chain of figuring out who the successor is and who that person might be if they're still around, if they still want to serve, as a prelude to actually getting this account set up uh, to accept the assets. Um, for the trust as opposed to just having the account set up first and letting the dust settle and figuring out who the trustee might be after the fact. Um. But that being said, um, that's all I have today on beneficiary designations. Just to leave you with um, my final points, just to reiterate what we've talked about. One, uh, beneficiary designation is not affected by a will or a trust. You have to actually manually change it. Um, Even in the absence of a valid beneficiary designation, um, the terms of the policy or of a retirement plan might automatically create a beneficiary designation if nobody is named or if the people named are not alive. Um, there are the two common mistakes in making beneficiary designations. First the obvious one is naming the estate as beneficiary because that can open those assets up uh, to probate and to creditor claims uh, even though those assets might be exempt under state law from those types of claims otherwise. Mistake number two which is a little less intuitive is naming minor children as beneficiaries because uh, the trend has been more towards eschewing custodial accounts in favor of requiring a full-blown conservatorship uh, for those types of assets. And just to clarify, that conservatorship isn't a requirement of local law. It's more of a safety thing being um, issued by the legal department of many financial institutions. Uh, So to get around to that second problem or even the first problem, uh, the typical approach is to maybe name trusts for children as beneficiaries. Um, this can be done in a will or um, as um, a standalone trust, but you have to make sure the two documents, both the beneficiary designation and the will or other trust, mesh together. And that is the point at which you would change the beneficiary designation. Um, when we get into the art part of actually creating the beneficiary designation remember that there's two approaches you can name the trust itself or you can name the trustee of the trust and identify the trust as a secondary part to that identification In Colorado, the rule is to just identify the trust generally, um, but different states have different requirements, so it helps to check first in terms of whose law applies, and second, what are the preferences of the insurance company or retirement plan administrator uh, administering that account. Um, but that is it for today so uh, if anybody has any questions I'm happy to open up the line and answer your questions uh, if you don't feel like sharing them over the phone feel free to email me at the conclusion of this call I'm happy to provide input as well um, also if you're interested in a brief breakdown and just bullet points of what we talked about today I'm happy to provide that as well just shoot me an email um, if you wonder why I don't provide that up front uh, you wouldn't have much incentive to participate in the call without uh, a guideline, and um, I just—I uh, don't like to give away the farm before uh, you get to, to tune into the discussion, so um, any questions, uh, going once, going twice, anybody? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm fine, thanks for hosting us, I appreciate it. Definitely. I wondered if we could get back to the question of designating children when, when I'm working, say, with parents. Mm-hmm. Say is the best solution apart from naming each other as primary beneficiary. Um and maybe part of the question would be for the especially for divorced parents who have young children, what would be the best solution before they for example put, put the measures of putting a trust in place for their kids? That's a very good question. So the default is If there is a designated guardian, that person is typically going to end up being, uh, at the very least, the custodian of any account created for a minor children. So it only really becomes a concern if both parents are deceased or both legal guardians are deceased. Um, So in that case, um, I would say... You're typically fine just naming the children and maybe just uh, identifying that they're under age 18 and that you know a parent is acting as custodian for them. Um, but there's very little that can be done, I think, if you run into a situation where um, a financial company comes back and says, hey, we want a full-blown conservatorship as a condition to um, providing these assets to the child. Um, and, and and it's funny because I've seen that you know both by um, life insurance companies uh, requiring that even if one natural parent is still alive and I've also seen it happen um, even with just you know general financial assets I think from fidelity actually where they required a conservatorship as a condition to children receiving small inherited IRAs um, so uh in terms of is there a way to get around it without actually going to the trouble of creating trusts for the kids or doing a will, um, if you want to be ultra-conservative, the answer is no. Uh, so for the time being, it's kind of a roll of the dice as to whether you know some company down the road is going to um, be ultra-conservative and say, hey, we want a conservatorship before we'll pay these assets out. Um, yeah, Thank you. no problem. Okay, any other questions? Okay. Well, everyone, I would like to thank you for uh, participating today. It means a lot to me, and uh, I really enjoy doing this, and I hope that uh, comes through over the air as well as you're participating. So uh, thanks again. Um, We'll come back next month, uh, second Tuesday of January. I'll have a topic within the next uh, week or two, so I will uh, email you the invite to uh, our January program. Um, As usual, it will be a very enlightening topic that is not something you see very often published in the estate planning world. So stay tuned for that, and I hope you'll be able to participate. Um, But once again, I thank you all for uh, taking time out of your lunch hour today to to call in, and uh, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. Thank you.